This is High Level Wisdom for New Generation Leaders. We interview senior level baby boomers who share their stories, insights, and how-tos for the emerging leadership of millennials. Our mission is to celebrate their accomplishments in aid of preserving their business knowledge. I'm your host, Chris Williams. Hey, executives. In your company, do you notice the struggle between your marketing and technology teams and they can't seem to really work together and sometimes don't even understand each other? Wouldn't you like to make a fortunate discovery that could help push your company into the future? Well, insert Serendipity Interactive and you can do just that. At Serendipity Interactive, we bring strategy to life by helping executives make fortunate discoveries for their business by focusing on the future while they maintain the present. Are you ready to make a fortunate discovery today? Visit serendipityinteractive.com. That's serendipityinteractive.com. Hey, are you looking to be able to maintain the institutional knowledge in your company when people retire? Do you want to make sure that gets down to your emerging leadership? Well, look no further than the High Level Wisdom for New Generation Leaders Workshop. We offer you as an executive, a one-day workshop where we work with your emerging leadership and baby boomer executives in order to close the knowledge gap, build camaraderie, help understand how the dynamics of both generations can work better together, and more importantly, be able to preserve your institutional knowledge. Feel free to send me an email, chris at highlevelwisdom.com for more information. Hey, and welcome to the show, everybody. I know it's been uh, a few days since you've had a chance to hear. I hope you've gotten a chance to go back and listen to last week's show. Brett was amazing. Uh, he was awesome. And this week is, I promise you, I know you guys are like, he says this every single week. But I, I, I hope that you see and feel what I feel when you get to hear from some of these amazing people that I meet. And this week, I had a rare opportunity to grab the attention and somebody who was willing and, and thought it was enough to 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 sit down with me and spend some time in his very busy schedule to sit down and share in this conversation that we are having. And I have to tell you, this CEO is uh, very uh, insightful. He's got perspective and not only uh, because he's a CEO and he's been doing it for many decades, he's also uh, uh, a, a retired uh, veteran from the United States and Navy. And so I'm very thankful for his service, uh, but more importantly, uh, his continued service uh, to us as podcast hosts, but then also you, the listener. Who listens to podcasts as well. I'm talking about Todd Cochran, and he is the CEO of Raw Voice uh, and also Blueberry. Now, if you're not sure what those are, uh, well, that's how you guys get a chance to hear all of what I do. Um, it is a media hosting company uh, that is full service for podcasting. You name it, they're able to do it along for uh, individuals like our, myself and our team, but even corporate entities as well. Now, he has uh, more than just a few podcasters <laughs> on his brand. We're talking over 30,000. I'll let that sink in for a minute. Yes, over 30,000 podcasters uh, are on this platform and a host, as you can imagine, hundreds of advertisers uh, who have been with him from the very beginning. So I want you to sit back and listen to someone who is insightful, who has uh, a bevy of knowledge, not only as a CEO, but somebody who really wants to give to you even as an emerging leader. 
take a listen to my interview with the CEO of Raw Voice, Todd Cochran. Todd, how are you? Uh, I'm doing great, Christopher. Thanks for the invite for the show today. Absolutely. And so, Todd, here's what I would like to do. Um, I, I know that I've gotten a chance to learn about you and that we actually, uh, in full transparency, host our show on on, on your uh program and, and it is phenomenal and I think that there's so much uh, to be learned and gained out of our time today in this discussion but one of the things I would like to do is I want you to take our audience uh, all the way back to kind of the beginning um, you know how did you get to where you are today did you start you know just kind of working in a company and decided hey I want to do something different but share with everyone kind of your personal journey and you know what was kind of the the tipping point for you to even start uh, getting into audio production and podcasting and building the company that you've built today? Well, that's a, that's a very interesting story. Um, I'm a, I graduated high school in 1983. So that puts me in the boomer category. As a matter of fact, uh, the date of my birth is the last year of the boomers. So I guess I'm the last of the boomers, but went straight out of high school, I went into the Navy and, um, didn't have a formal college degree, just uh, went as enlisted and had a very rewarding career over really 25 years of being uh, active duty and um, worked in electronics field and I, and I flew. So I had a, a technical background and uh, in that entire time that I was active duty, I was involved in some form of communications within the online space. It started back in the early days of running an old dial-up bulletin board for those of you that are old school that even know what that means and transition to, uh, you know, the early days of the internet and having a, having a blog and what really, it, what it boiled down to where the turning point came was in 2004, I was still active duty, but I'd gotten hurt pretty bad overseas and I spent some time in the hospital and I couldn't, could no longer fly, I had a bad back injury. So they regulated me to a desk and basically I was doing a lot of uh, contract enforcement, making sure that uh, the taxpayer dollars were being spent wisely on uh, aircraft modification. So I was, at the time, I was in Waco, Texas, and uh, because of my injury, I was in one of those body clamshells in, in Texas in the summer is hot. So I was spending a lot of time in my hotel room when I wasn't working in the air conditioning, and I was listening to a lot of stuff on the on the internet, and I heard about podcasting really from the godfather himself, Adam Curley, in doing the daily source code with, uh, actually, I don't think that show was even started yet, but it was with uh, Dave Weiner, and I said, man, this, this medium's awesome, and I had already been blogging for a couple of years, and I really wasn't that good of a blogger, to be honest with you, so I ran over to uh, a local Walmart, picked up a 1395 LabTac headset, and literally within you know a few short days, I had produced my first podcast. And what I found was from the very beginning, um, there was a medium here where I could connect with people and the, uh, the audience just grew exponentially. It went up like a rocket ship. And in the early days, there was no unlimited hosting. And we were really trying to just being afford to keep the show online. So when I returned from Texas to Hawaii to talk to my wife about this, she just kind of rolled her eyes. She said, listen, bud, you, you know, you've got two years to figure out how to make money with this or <laughs> I'm going to shut you down. <laughs> and so, 
So the goal from the very, very beginning in the early days was to monetize the show. And I, I got lucky in, in uh, I think it was October or November of that year, maybe, well, no, it was December, I was contacted by Wiley Publishing. They said, hey, we want you to write the first book on podcasting. Um, that's a story in itself. We don't have really time to go too deep into details, but that uh, book was released in May of 05. And uh, the podcast was continuing to grow. And in July of, uh, of 2004, I got a call from GoDaddy and it said, we want to sponsor your podcast. And wow. so I, you know, I really had no, no background on, on advertising whatsoever. So I agreed to a specific amount and the next month she calls back and she says, we want to renew. And, and she told me how we did. And I said, well, let me call you back because we did really, really well. And I actually did some math this time and went back and recalculated what the show was really worth. And uh, we signed a much bigger agreement dollar-wise. And then the fate, as fate would have it, you just never know. Life throws you these curveballs, right? She, the, the words that this lady said from GoDaddy, her name, her name is Chris Redlinger. She's still at GoDaddy. She said, Todd, she says, do you know any other podcasters that would like to have advertising? Those exact words were the turning point for me to go, hmm, there's a business here. Interesting. So so I actually reached out on my show and I said, I'm looking for a, I mean, get, get, now just understand where I'm coming from. I'm, I come from a family of entrepreneurs, so I was kind of the black sheep and going off into the military. So I was still active duty at the time. And I said, I need a programmer, I need a biz dev, I need a graphics guy, and I need a lawyer. And if you are one of those, and of course I had like 50,000 people listen to my show. If you're one of those, there's going to be a phone call this night at this time, be on it. And nine people showed up to the call. And the first thing I told them was, if you don't have $10,000 to invest in a business idea today, hang up. And it was like, ding, 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 people were hanging up. You know? <laughs> and uh, we were left with uh, four of us. Wow. And the graphics guy, well, ended up being Brian, my creative director. Barry Kantz, uh, who is now our CFO legal officer, myself, one individual that's no longer with the company, but uh, the creative director says, I know a programmer, and from there a company was born. We, we built Raw Voice from the ground up. Uh, we'd never seen each other face-to-face. -face. As a matter of fact, it was six to nine months before we actually first met up. But that was the that was the start of Raw Voice. And we did primarily uh, podcast advertising deals, you know, starting in 2005. And we were one of the first to do it. And we, and we really did, did it well. Um, so the company's obviously transitioned to now being a full-service podcasting company with hosting stats. We offer free WordPress hosting for our customers. Um, you know, it runs the full gamut. But uh, now I'm a team of 13. And matter of fact, today I'm sitting in our studio in our office in Columbus, Ohio. And my dev team here is, and and then Mackenzie who runs our affiliate program and 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 manages sales. She's here too, and um, so I'm just visiting the team. We're having a little uh, company team building effort tomorrow, so uh, yeah, flew in for that. Wow, yeah, you're right. We could. <laughs> there's so much into what you just shared. I could dive into. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. You, you know, I, one of the things that. Um, I find it very interesting about your story is number one, um, as you mentioned, the tipping point for you was the, the words that she said from GoDaddy and right. you realized immediately, okay, 
there's something there to this, right? Because if she's asking, that means that there would be many others who might ask the same question and who want to fulfill that particular space. The world of um, audio entertainment, and we'll just use that term for right now for the for our audience to be able to kind of grasp um, what we're talking about. The world of audio entertainment has been around forever. It's not like it hasn't been here, but podcasting is such a unique uh, medium because um, as you know, with, with, um, with entertainment, some of the, the best ways that people get entertained is to be able to use all their senses. And of course, when you talk about podcasting, you're, you're eliminating one of the most important part of your senses, which is the eyes and all they have to go on is what they hear, how it makes them feel, um, and kind of the emotional roller coaster that you might take someone on, on a journey. Right. Yeah. What do you think is the um, the reason that podcasting is growing so fast? Like just just in your overall thoughts, because you've been here since the beginning, you've seen it, you know, go from absolutely nothing to now, you know, Apple and Google are starting to make this a part of their mainstream and some of their upcoming updates. Why do you think that this medium is um, on such a a growth curve, you know, now and even going into the near future? Well, you know, here's the, here's, here's what I feel. In, in the beginning, it was revolutionary and evolutionary at the same point because I no longer had to ask anyone permission to be able to publish literally anything I wanted and have it delivered to a media device that someone could take in their car with them. Wow. That was, you know, in the early days, there wasn't, the, this is prior to the iPhone. The iPod was out, and we actually had to physically sync the media. So, you know, that's right. That if, people were, <laughs> if people were doing that action, they were doing that on purpose to take you with them. That's literally. right. Literally. Okay. So now we take it for granted because we just hit play. But, if, if you think about how it started for us, we were like, oh my God, we're going to, we're going to take over the world. And, you know, that maybe not, you know, be the actual case. But I still feel that even though you and I are having a conversation here, we have to also continue to remember every time we open our mouths that there's someone that has a pair of earbuds in that are listening right now. And we are literally having about as a close and a personal conversation as one can possibly have with that individual. So, or with the listeners. So, you know, for the listeners that are listening, we're, you know, you're here with us. Um, you know, you're not with us physically, but you're in our, you know, and we're talking to you. We're not necessarily talking to a thousand people. At least that's the way I always approach doing my show is I'm talking to an individual. That's make right. that connection at a deep spiritual level. I think that's what the difference is. Radio, they talk to, you know, kind of like in grandiose terms, but in podcasting, really it's that one-on-one and we're literally right in someone's head. So I think that's what makes it so popular, so popular and also why it's growing so fast and why engagement rates of audiences are so high with hosts that they trust is because, man, I want to support this, you know, this man or woman and what they're doing and they've got a sponsor. And so that's, I really think that's a big, big part of it or, you know, the essence of it. Absolutely. So 
one other question prior to us kind of really deep diving into uh, some perspective I would like to get from you is what do you think is the um, the thing about podcasts in the world that 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 we currently have with all this technology and these other pieces? Why do you think now? Like, why? Why hadn't this been something that, you know, was, you know, what makes sense now is just far as where we are with technology, such a a a positive and a unique space for podcasting to exist. Well, if you look at the YouTube phenomena, you look at uh, what's going on in podcasting, you know, if we back up 10 years, just 10 years, um, if you wanted to be able to reach people on a mass scale, you had to go rent somebody's transmitter or you had to be able and, and really to be able to get good distribution. That's how you did it. You become syndicated or you you were on late night TV or, you know, what, but you had to almost buy your way in to the space. And today, uh, my 13 year old with a cell phone and something that he's doing, he can reach as many people with a cell phone today that, that radio used to reach before this big internet revolution. So that, you know, what it really is, is the internet has become this great equalizer um, sure, there's you know there's lots of creators. Some of it's good, some of it's bad. But the main thing is you can do it. You can. No one can say no. I think that's the big part of it. And you know, if someone's passionate about something, whether it be politics, whether it be sports, whether it be health, whatever your passion is, you may not do that in your normal job, but you can come home, strap on a, a microphone, and share your passion. And that's what it really comes down to is people passionate about topics that maybe they're not living on a day, you know, in their day job, but right. they get to live it out. And also some podcasts almost as a form of therapy. It's crazy. The gamut of shows that are out there. With, oh, um, yes. I, I think our director has like 400,000 different podcasts. Not all of them are active, but just think about that. 400,000 wow. people have created a variety of content. Wow. Wow. So, Hmm. That that leads me to another conversation. <laughs> sure. Do you and 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 you don't necessarily have to answer this in direct terms because we don't want to we don't want to alienate anybody. But I think about this stuff so much. Do you feel podcast is kind of like what happened when I guess I would say almost the internet almost kind of killed you know radio and TV? But do you feel podcast might end up killing things like? the daily newspaper and was kind of the impetus for a lot of this stuff kind of going away. Because when you think about it, right, the TV was the only way to get your news and the guy throwing the paper and hitting your window every day. Right. And then eventually technology showed up and there was this box that you could sit in your room and consume all the information that they, they, they would give you now as the consumer, I can get it 24 seven. And I feel like podcasting is one of those areas that has, um, it, to your point, you know, if you've got in your database 400,000, well, let's just, you know, scale that by, I'm sure, you know, several million of different ways for me as a consumer to be able to actually grab the news that I want to hear. And not just locally. I think that's the other thing that I think about, too. There's podcasts happening overseas. There's information happening sure. all over the place. So do you feel like podcasting is kind of uh, hurting and a dying, you know, uh, medium source as well? 
Well, it's it's definitely not helping, but I think there's really something to realize. Some people consume media by listening, some consume by watching, and some by reading. So I don't think that written content is going to go away anytime soon, and I think it serves a good purpose and is contextually able to be indexed and to be able to be found. So while a traditional newspaper may be in trouble and magazines that are niche will probably survive, radio, um, you know, be honest with you, uh, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. It's not going anywhere, but they they kind of poo-poo uh, podcasting a little bit, but boy, you should hear the calls I'm getting on a weekly basis from radio managers calling and they're starting to hedge their bets. They understand what's happening, but you know, if you look at iHeart, they're billions and billions and billions of dollars in debt. You know, they're in big trouble financially. Right. So what happens if they miss a payment and they have to break up iHeart and sell off pieces? You know, radio is a great medium. I you know, and I listen to Mike Bear Share Radio still even today. But radio, I think for the I look at my kids, my kids are not plugged into radio. Right. They're on Pandora, Spotify, you know, they're listening to music. Uh, there's some stuff their friends are so the dynamic has changed. So I think radio's in the biggest trouble. Uh, newspapers probably close behind, but podcasting just fills a space that um, that radio is going to definitely try to move into, and they are. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's let's shift gears here. Sure. Being a baby boomer um, and somebody who also has been in the military, you you've seen shifts and change throughout the last two or three decades. My question to you is this, when did you notice kind of the, the, (laughs) what was your perspective? Maybe we should start there. When you finally turned around one day and said, oh, there's something to this millennial thing in my world and maybe I should start paying attention to it. What was kind of those moments that maybe you've had uh, in the last 10 or 15 years where you realized that millennial engagement was really, really important and it was something you needed to pay attention to, even in your world? Well, you know, I think my perspective, you know, I'm being a business owner um, and we have millennials that work at our company. Um, You know, I, my perspective and my exposure to millennials um, has largely been through the job hiring process. And, and of course, some interaction, of course. But in any generation, you have achievers. And in the millennial um, generation, you're going to have a segment of, of, of super achievers. But uh, it, just like any other generation, you're going to have a, a, a certain portion of them. They're also going to be slackers. You know, I can't say all boomers are achievers. There's slackers in the boomer community, too. So... Um, I think that uh, from my perspective is there's a lot of great energy, there's a great a lot of great ideas, a lot of independent thinking, a lot of uh, millennials that uh, want to get stuff done. They can't wait to take charge and be the boss. Um, and that to me is exciting because they come with a whole bevy of fresh ideas and they're willing to challenge the status quo, which often is, is needed. Now from a content standpoint, I think that uh, you know it's being reported from a consumption standpoint that millennials are, um, you know, making up a portion of the maybe this audience or the podcasting space itself. But uh, they're going to grow into, um, or they already are. They've grown up with internet-based media communications. So 
I think the future is good from this industry from that perspective. As they get a little older and start having kids and families, they're going to be looking to make their message shared too. So I think from a um, from that impact, I think we're going to see going forward. You know, they're they're now got their foot in the door. They're working their way up the corporate ladder. Um, you know, they're going to get into um, positions of trust and decision making, and you know, it's just a matter of time, right? So. I think it's going to be exciting to see what the millennials are going to be. And a lot of people poo-poo or talk bad about millennials. You know, you know my grandfather talked bad about my generation. So, <laughs> right. Uh, you know, the world was coming to an end. Well, we're all still here. So <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, I think it's an exciting time. We'll just, uh, and hopefully, hopefully they'll, you know, take a little bit of our knowledge and take what they like and use it and throw the rest out. Absolutely. And so you hit on a good point because, you know, with our show, that's that's the the journey is to be able to share that knowledge, to be able to bridge the gap between both generations and the knowledge piece that we have there. When you think about um, at the end of the day, when 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 it's all said and done. What are kind of some of those things that you feel are very important and vital for an emerging millennial leader who will one day take over a corporation, run a business, uh, you know, work even, I would say, with a with a baby boomer to 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 launch companies, because you're starting to see more of that as a trend where if some, you know, millennials who are smart. You learn that, and I I learned this, especially in my career, some of the best relationships you can have is with uh, someone of an older generation because there are just some things that you cannot, you just, you won't learn on your own. Uh, But, you know, what are some of those things that you feel are important from a knowledge standpoint that millennials should pick up about uh, baby boomers in order to truly, you know, take the helm of companies and corporations uh, going forward? You know, I, I look at my own journey and having started at the bottom of the totem pole when I become active duty, I worked for a lot of, uh, a lot of different people over the years and I learned, you know, relatively quickly what I liked and what I disliked about certain individuals' leadership skills. Um, some people bring a hammer, some people bring a stick, some people, um, you know, manage through, um, you know, uh, basically rewards. So I took a little bit of everything from those experiences, and really it was um, a lot of experiences, and used that in my, um, in you know, my mind. I kind of decided, okay, I like this, I like this. I'm not going to be like this person. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, and I, I, I was always thinking about how I was going to tweak things when I got a little bit older. So. I think it's important for a millennial um, to try to get some uh, some exposure across the space. If you're just working with a few people and you don't get cross support, you know, basically you don't see a wide range of leadership. Um, that is kind of scary to me because I think you become a better leader with uh, more exposure. And does that mean you need to change jobs every two or three years? Well, if you're not moving around uh, sideways or up in a in a company, maybe. Um, 
because I really think those exposure points are important in developing someone into a you know a future CEO or CFO or CIO whatever the the you know the path progression path you're on um, and then if you find someone that man I really like this guy's our, our lady's leadership style um, I have a term that I used to tell military guys attach yourself to that person's hip you know, suck the knowledge out of that brain. Get as much information you can out of them right. in the time that you have. And, and, and if you don't like someone, then take those same exact lessons. Go, man, I will never do that when I become a you know, supervisor or I become a, a, a production leader or a department head or something to that effect. You know, take those lessons and then, and then live it because you can become your own worst enemy. You don't want to become that guy you hated. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So along those same lines, I have heard from many CEOs that I talk to uh, private and in public. <laughs> I've heard from um, a lot of different HR execs that for some baby boomer CEOs, getting close to a employee is a bit difficult and they kind of shy away from it. But the reasoning behind that, that I've even heard most recently in, in several different conversations with some CEOs is it's because a lot of times CEOs just don't want to be seen as they don't know everything or they don't want to be seen as weak or they don't want people to know that they're, you know, maybe they have some gaps in 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 their, you know, in the way that they operate. What would you say to an executive who who kind of sits in that space that, you know, doesn't really allow for opportunities for younger people in their companies or uh, for some emerging leadership to really get to know them? What would you say to that executive or that CEO? I think that's a mistake. You know, you if, if someone comes, if if you're only looking at the emotion, and a lot of times people, and we're all emotional beings. But if you if you can look past the emotions and um, listen to ideas and suggestions by um, you know millennials or younger folks in your company, I think you can have you know these out of the box moments where someone comes to you with an idea and you're like. And why why didn't I think of that? So I think it's critical for you know I'm, I'm we're we're small we got 13 you know I I talk with the uh, either on Slack or on the phone or via video chat I talk with almost all my employees on a daily basis. Now I may not you know it might be just a question or um, but we do feedback meetings and that type of stuff. So I think it's important if you're in a bigger corporation to uh, you know, get to get out of the high office and uh, go sit amongst the cubes and uh, eat lunch with the uh, with the troops to be able to, you know, find out what's happening, what they think. And if you're not doing that, I, I can't imagine a CEO not doing that. That to me would be a disservice to the company. You know, I know if you're a Fortune 500, maybe the the body of people that you have working for you is too big to be able to do that. But for smaller companies. You know, you better be listening because they're going to tell you what the trends are. You look at what they're listening to, what they're watching. Um, you know, if especially if you're in the media space, you got to, you know, you may not be attuned to what really is happening on. Um, I try to be an early adopter on all tech because I want to stay current. But uh, 
you know, I find myself personally falling into old habits before. I'm like, no, 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 you're in this space. You need to be paying attention. So um, I, I don't know. I think CEOs need to, and, you know, people that are, you know, in, in next two or three levels in a big company, they need to be uh, need to be listening. And at the same time, providing guidance when someone may be a little bit off the mark. And you're right. I think it's because... Um when you think about the journey, right, if you if you just go from a very simple, basic journey and I realize that everybody's journey is not this general, but for the most part, it it can be this way. You know, you start out as an individual contributing a role, kind of an entry level role. You start moving your way up and then all of a sudden you think, "Ooh, you know what? I actually would like to be in the you know leadership role in this company. You keep moving up, you keep moving up. And for some people. They're doing it because, you know, you know, and there's two different halves of people, right? There's the people who move up because they really want to lead. There's the other group of people who we don't always talk about who want to move up because they no longer want to manage people. <laughs> um, they're 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 literally trying to box themselves in by moving up the ladder. Right. Um, only to find out that, and this is something that I'm having conversations with, with a lot of different people right now, because I'm really interested and I'm asking the question of everybody is middle management dying because I, I, it's, it's just, uh, the frozen middle, as some people call it of most corporations, but it, it's a very, um, it's in a very unique space right now. When you talk about how much companies are changing and evolving and, um, what is now happening inside of, uh, HR teams. But by the time you get to some of these levels, um, you know, people don't realize that when you actually look back, you have more to learn at that level than you probably did when you first came in the door. Um, and so what would you say are maybe some of the the gaps that you feel uh, baby boomers might have when it comes to working and learning from uh, those of a younger generation? Well, I think when it comes to managers, I think that there's some pretty piss poor managers out there because they just have not gotten enough exposure or they got exposure to a very narrow perspective of management and they don't have that breadth of exposure. You know, I, I was lucky. I, you know, I had a new manager, a new, a new, uh, uh, probably every six months to a year, they rotated people through. So I got a huge amount of exposure to leadership. And then, you know, top leadership changing every two years when I was in the military. So, um, and, and I see, sometimes I see managers, I'm like, why are you doing what you are doing? Do you not know? And it's because they don't. So, you know, I find myself um, having had this wide base of exposure to kind of come up with some strategies to, you know, to help managers uh, come up with some skills to be able to do this. And if you can't do that, and if you're a small organization, maybe you need to have some management training uh, of those managers to make them understand that, uh, you know, you don't always have to use the hammer. You can use a carrot. So it's, um, yeah, I, I think there is a problem in middle management. And, and I think it's, if, if you've worked for four or five different companies, well, maybe you don't have that issue. But if you've only been with one, you just don't have that exposure. You're going to have the same mindset of that as that company. You're not going to have, you're not going to be introducing new ideas. Absolutely. So, and I, I would even say part of that issue is, is that, and you tell me if you agree, 
sometimes when you've been in those types of companies for that long, there's this unwritten rule of success that you immediately fall into because you want to succeed. So some people will throw away that that sense of I know this isn't the best way, but I see everybody else doing it. And it seems like that's the way to succeed. Right. Or it's a safe way. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And see that with media buyers. Yeah, go ahead. Really? You said you see that with media buyers. Really? Yeah, because the new media buyers are 23 to 27 and they just need to make their numbers to get promoted. So they are very risk adverse. So when, you know, that's part of the problem has been the podcasting space is expanding the advertising basis because you have risk adverse um, employees that know if they screw up, they're going to get penalized and won't get promoted. So they're more than willing to stay with the status quo from their predecessors so long as that person was successful and they don't have to strive to really blow it out. They just, if they make their numbers, they good, they move up. So, um, you know, that's kind of a, you know, at least in the media business, as far as the advertising world goes, we see that a lot. It's very frustrating. Wow. So then as a CEO, how would you encourage failing? Oh, sometimes people just have to fail. You know, sometimes you see it coming. And if it's something that's not going to affect the company bottom line, um, sometimes it's better to have someone fall on their face. And you're kind of like, see, I told you maybe that wasn't the right way to go. Uh, I think you have to allow people to fail. And then, you know, let's say someone inadvertently fails and costs the company money. Well, that person's going to know that, oh, man, if I do that again, there's going to be, you know, my job may be on the line. So oftentimes I think failure makes employees better because then they've had a, some knowledge here that I, I, I'm the one that screwed this up. I need to make an adjustment. I can't do that again because if I do, the boss isn't going to be so accommodating number, you know, on the second go around, especially if it's the same mistake. So um, I think we have to be willing to let people fail, but we should try to guide them not to. But sometimes, uh, you know, I've seen this happen before. I'm like, okay, this isn't going to hurt me too bad. I know what the end outcome is going to be. Let's go ahead and let this roll. And I use it as a, a little bit of lesson building, even though you kind of maybe caution. And, you know, people may think this is odd, but uh, I think failure makes people better. You don't want to purposely do it. You don't just let them fail on their own. But if they refuse to kind of listen and it's something you can you can live with, so maybe a little different. Maybe my perspective is a little bit different, but uh, I don't know. What is yours? Well, you know, when I think about it, I do think failure is important, and I, the reason why I think it's important is because um, I, I, I talk a lot about when I talk with companies or different people about unwritten rules of success, and sometimes what we don't realize is that one of the biggest unwritten rules of success is to not fail. We want everything to be perfect. It's no different than like you mentioned, right? You had over, you know, 400,000, you know, podcasts in the directory. But you made a great point. You said not all of them are active. You know why? Oh, no. Because most people will start something when they think it's perfect. And one of the greatest people who ever lived said, hey, you know, done is better than perfect. But the problem is, is our unwritten rule of success tells us if it's not all perfect and it's not always perfect, then you shouldn't put it out there because we we, part of it is, is we're afraid of criticism. 
We're afraid of somebody saying something negative. We're we're afraid of uh, not being approved, you know, by uh, people we know and or people that we don't know. Right. And of course, in this yep. world of hyper, you know, immediate feedback um, because of the Internet and because people can just immediately say things, we fear that sort of stuff. So we immediately remove ourselves from anything that would give us that. And so I think it's a it's a fear that drives a lot of people. So you're right. Yes, you do have 400,000 in a directory. But what if all 400,000 were actively engaged and involved in every single week, putting their best foot forward and moving on their idea of a podcast show? Wow. What 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 an amazing, you know, piece that would be going on there. Right. But I think it's just that I think it's that unwritten rule of it's got to be perfect. And we don't say it, but we act like it. We 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 display it by the way we do things. And um, I, I think it's something that you have to learn to get over just as a personal um, growth piece in life, no matter what you're you starting. Know, I, yeah. And I, I remember to a specific point in my life where I messed something up and uh, my super precise, come on, let's go for a walk. And uh, we were, I was working in aviation and uh, we walked out past the airplanes and kept walking and walking. And I'm like, oh man, this is not going to be good because he's taking me <laughs> to a location where he can't yell at me. And, you know, and quite frankly, I deserved it. I deserved this butt chewing and I got a, you know, I got a face blast, but he did it away from everyone. It was uh, one-on-one. He chewed my butt, but at the same time, he told me what we're going to change and what you need to change, and I took that on board and, and made those changes and, and was successful. But when we went back to the office, it was business as normal. We were still, you know, it wasn't that he was an, an enemy. He was giving me some guidance that I needed. So I think people have to get a little bit of thicker skin. If yes. someone says, you need to come in here and sit down, um, there is a real issue when it gets to that point, and you need to listen. You either listen or you quit. So you have to listen and take aboard some of these ideas and changes. You know, I'm I'm you know I'm come from the military, so for my transition to um, having a you know a, a a company that doesn't you know where I there's no such thing as giving orders. It is um, you know I had to transition myself into that mode, and luckily I had about a three year time to do that wow. but uh, yeah so you know it, it's completely different management style obviously um, so it's I think uh, you know going back to that failure piece if you're willing to listen you're going to do fine but you better listen <laughs> yeah absolutely and I, and I think that with with the failure pieces that um, you know we don't like being wrong. And so when you don't like being wrong, then you can't allow anybody to give you real feedback. And so where I get concerned with people, I will say this, and I've seen it across the board. It could be executives that have this issue down to just, you know, an individual contributor. It doesn't matter is I really get concerned when the it's kind of the fight or flight thing. Right. And so right. some people will run from criticism. They will but put them. Can, go ahead. I think and I think you can head that off, though, that fight or flight method. You can head that off as long as, you know, the thing I've always done is self-assessment. Give me an assessment of how you think you're doing. And I said, be very honest, be brutally honest with yourself in that self-assessment. Absolutely. And if you can do that, 
they'll overcome some of this, you know, this flight issue where people, if you can really look and say, okay, am I really doing this the way I should? And if you're honest in those self-assessments, you can grow from that yourself. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of High Level Wisdom for New Generation Leaders. Thank you so much for listening. I know this is part one and I know uh, you say, well, gosh, do we have to stop it? Well, yeah, we kind of do. But as you know, if you listen to our show at any time and if this is your first time, thank you. But in two days, you will receive part two. Now, listen, please subscribe. If this is your first time, wherever you listen to our show, we're on iTunes, uh, iHeartRadio or on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, TuneIn. Or you could just go to our website, highlevelwisdom.com. Wherever you may be listening, thank you so much. Make sure you subscribe today so that that way on Thursday, you get the notification when the show is available. Now, also, what you've heard today, I want you to share it with us and share it with those in your network. Uh, Share it on LinkedIn, uh, even places like that. You can do that. You can get us at High Level Wisdom, which is our handle. You can use it on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And then you can just also share this among your network. This is a great interview, great person to listen to this week. I look forward to sharing part two with you in two days. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you in the next episode.